Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. And we're going through 1 John and uh, we're just going to take our time and see how long, see how long we, we walk through 1 John. But uh, 1 John is all about love. It's about the love of God. It's about the love of God for us. It's about our love for others and it's about our love for God. And uh, we're going to see that as the book unfolds. Uh, but so far, we've been talking a lot about the first couple of verses of John, which so far hasn't really mentioned love at all. Um, uh, well, at least in specific words. Um, it has, though, been talking about life, specifically the life. And what is, what is, the, what is the name of the life? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. And so if God is love, then, then love has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so we have been talking about him uh, here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I'd just like to recap, read the first couple of verses again. Uh, John says, that which was from the beginning. Let's see, who, who would that be? That's right. All right, Mia, you got the correct answer from the back. See, 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 you don't have to say it one more time for people in the back because people in the back aren't deaf. They can hear you. This is amazing. They're listening. Uh, anyway, this is for all of our Facebook friends. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, he's talking about Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. He's speaking about Jesus. So this is the last living disciple of Jesus who literally walked with him on the earth. And... Now, he's making reference to that. Our hands have touched him. This we proclaim concerning, he doesn't say the name Jesus yet. He says the word of life. So John is defining who Jesus is. He is the word of life. And in verse 2, he says the life appeared, and that is the gospel. The fact that the life appeared. The gospel is not the story of how the life appeared. The, the gospel is the fact, the good news, that life has appeared. And so he says, the life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, or we, or, or we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is interesting. At the very beginning of John's book, at the very beginning of his letter, he's describing the reason why he's writing this letter. He's proclaiming to you who Jesus is. He's revealing this life that has appeared so that you may have your best life now. No, 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 hold on a second. Uh, so that you might know who to vote for. Oh, no, wait, that's not it either. Darn it. I keep, I'd say, I'm so 2020. I need to, I need to get back to to about 85 AD. He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. This is the purpose of the book, the purpose of the letter. This is why John's writing, so that these people that he's probably never seen in his life, he's an old statesman of the church, he says, I want you to have fellowship with me. And he says, us, meaning not just himself, but all of those who are following Jesus, all of those who are disciples of Jesus. He says, I'm writing this so that we will have fellowship. And then he says, so, so, so we've been talking about love, right? We'll, we'll get to love in a minute. Uh, but he says, look, the purpose of writing this is so you may, ha may have fellowship. And then he says, and our fellowship 
is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, if you're reading in uh, really any Bible, there's going to be a little asterisk after our joy. We write this to make our joy complete. There's going to be an asterisk there. There's going to be some special notes for you because um, the original man manuscripts sort of disagree with this particular word, our joy. Um, literally about half of the known manuscripts have the word our joy. About the other half have the word your joy. We write this to make your joy complete. So half the time of the original manuscripts that we have, um, <clears throat> it says we write this to make our joy complete. And the other half, it says we write this to make your joy complete. And so which is it? Well, we don't know. <laughs> and I think actually it's very interesting that he's talking about fellowship and now we have confusion as to whose joy is actually going to be made complete. I think that's a pretty good definition of fellowship. That we're not sure if it's our joy is being made complete by connecting with you or your joy is being made complete by connecting with us. This is fellowship. That, we're, that there's the completion of joy on both sides of the spectrum. And that it's hard to exactly say who's getting the best benefit out of this. That's what true fellowship is. Uh, it's where both... It's, it's what a good marriage is, by the way, where both people, their joy is made complete, where there's a mutual completeness of joy. So I'm just going to say, like, in Texas, all y'all's joy would be complete. So it's not, it's not y'all and it's not me. It's, it's all y'all, which somehow translates into, like, everybody in the room, I guess. All y'all, it's like everybody. I, so anyway, so that's what he's saying. I'm writing this so that all y'all's joy... Can't even say it with a straight face. Will be made complete. It's the original Greek translation right here. So, so there's a couple other things. So there's, there's really there's two equations happening here. Uh, verse four, we write this to make our all y'all joy complete. I can't like how do you? Oh, Charismatically, this is killing me. I write this to make. Our joy, I'm, I just got to go with the NIV, I'm sorry. I write this to make our joy complete. That's one, that's one equation, right? That fellowship equals joy. So I'm not a math whiz, but fellowship, according to John, fellowship equals joy. That's one equation. But there's another equation here that comes before that, and it is we proclaim this to you so that we may, you may have fellowship with us. So that's the first equation, that faith in the proclaimed word of Jesus, faith in Jesus, in the revealed person of Jesus, equals fellowship. Faith equals fellowship. So I got two equations for you. Number one, faith equals fellowship. Number two, fellowship equals joy. And so ultimately, I believe the gospel is meant to bring us joy. Ultimately, God has intended our great joy. And does anybody, does anybody need that? Nowadays, after, after a week like this, a month like this, a year like this, a lifetime, I guess, the past couple decades, is anybody in need of some joy? Well, I got good news for you. God has joy for us. And he has joy unspeakable and full of glory. He has joy of great depth, joy that's not based on circumstances, but joy that is produced by fellowship. So God's ingredient, God's secret ingredient for joy is fellowship. 
This is this, so, so that makes fellowship so very important. This is why John says the whole reason that we are writing about who Jesus is, he is the life, he is the way, he is the truth, and we're going to be revealing him and unpacking him. We walked with him, we touched with him, but I'm revealing this to you so that you can have fellowship with us. And within that fellowship, out of that fellowship will come great joy, complete joy for you and for me, for all of us together. There will be great joy, and that's what John's saying. So, so I, I need to pack, uh, like unpack these these different um, math equations. So, faith equals fellowship. He says, "I'm writing this to you so that we may have fellowship." In other words, if you believe the truth about Jesus, if you believe the truth about who Jesus is, that will lead to fellowship. Now, this is pretty revolutionary because I think much of our country especially and many churches across the country are trying to figure out how to create fellowship. How many fellowship halls do we actually have to build before we have fellowship? Like, we got a lot of people with fellowship halls, but not a lot of fellowship. We got a lot of people with a lot of like small group curriculums, but not a lot of Fellowship. So fellowship is, the, the, the word fellowship, it's got a few biblical usage uh, meanings. The original word for fellowship here can be used for uh, intimacy, like affection. Um, and actual, like you say, actually uh, it can be used for intercourse, which, you know, John's pretty, pretty edgy, I guess. John, we're in church, you can't. <laughs> so before you think that it's that kind of church, just, just know that it's interesting that the Holy Spirit chose the word which can be confused for physical intimacy to use the word with intimacy that he wanted his church to have. That's like how deep and how close and how important this is to God. That God would reach for a word that could be misunderstood, which, by the way, was misunderstood in several churches, especially the Gnostic churches. So... There, there are times in which Paul uh, confronts different churches because they did get weird in this area. Like, they, they just did. And, and Paul dealt with them in that. And, and he said, look, you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're, you're destroying the body because you're committing sexual immorality. And so sexual immorality is not a part of the body of Christ. But, but, but it, the, the line is so close that the Holy Spirit says, look, we're talking about real intimacy. We're talking about taking off the veil and allowing each other to see each other. Not in a weird way, but in an appropriate way. He says, look, this is like we got to take the masks off. Not yet, guys. But uh, we got to take the masks off and pull off the stuff that, that blocks us from each other and actually reveal ourselves to each other. And the word he used was sometimes used for physical intimacy. Now, they weren't supposed to imagine that was the case, but he's like, I want to have real affection for you. I want to have real appreciation for you. I want to have real intimacy with you. It's also a word for agreement or alignment, to come into alignment with somebody, to come into agreement with somebody. Uh, it's, it's the word uh, that, 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 that can mean alignment, it can mean connection, it can mean companionship. It can mean somebody to, to walk alongside you, uh, companionship, friendship a deep uh, reliance on, a comrade, somebody who's, who's, who's in the foxhole with you, somebody who's got your back. That's what fellowship, that's what this word can mean. And so John says, look, it's really important for you that you 
that you achieve fellowship, and the way you achieve fellowship is through understanding who Jesus is, putting your faith in Jesus, because, because John saw this firsthand. So, so, so I'm going to grab a couple of these meanings. One, alignment, okay? Honestly, if everybody in this room and people watching online, the Larsons, everybody watching online, if we could come into alignment, you haven't seen the power, the potential power within the church of Jesus Christ when she actually comes into alignment with herself. When she stops petty disagreements, when she, petty arguments, petty bits of division, when there is clean and clear alignment. Well, well, actually, we have seen this power. There was 11 guys that Jesus walked with for three years who came into alignment. They gathered I'm not good at math, but 109 others so that there was 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and they were all in one place and in one accord or in one alignment. And when they were in alignment, then the Holy Spirit fell in that place. The mighty rushing wind blew through that place. Tongues of fire landed on each and every head. 3,000 people were saved in a day. The world was turned upside down. The Roman Empire began to crumble. All empires in the world began to crumble underneath the force of the kingdom of God because they couldn't stop because you can't elect the, the kingdom of God and you can't kick it out. You can't unelect it. You can't vote for it or not vote for it. You, can, you can't even see the power of it because it's influence and influence is greater than authority. And so when the influence of the Holy Spirit starts moving in someone's heart, it doesn't matter what laws you create or what, or what jails you create to put people who break those laws. It doesn't matter what threats you give to the people. It, it, it really, they are influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have seen the power of alignment. And John saw this in his own life because John was one of those disciples. John was one of those 12 knuckleheads that Jesus pulled together. And I say knuckleheads most affectionately. They were just insanely different. There was like, there, there was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? A zealot was a political activist against all things Rome. They were, they were, they were pro-Jewish only Jewish, always Jewish. Jews are better than everybody else, and everybody else is terrible. And uh, we don't need their money. We don't need their government. We don't need their language. We don't need. Uh, Simon was a zealot, and Jesus calls Simon to him, Simon the zealot, and then he walks by a tax collector's table, the IRS office. You got the Michigan militia over here. They're thinking about kidnapping governors and stuff and doing bizarre things. And then you got the IRS. And Jesus is like, how about you join the team? And Simon's like, he's a traitor, man. He's trying to destroy our country. He's trying to take away our freedom. He's trying to, he's trying to stop everything that's ever good and probably burn the flag too. I don't know. And, 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 and Jesus is like, no, no, you're, you're, you're good, Matthew. Come, come along with it. And he gets a tax collector and a zealot in the same room. He gets a couple of fishermen who were like the, uh, the, the, the truck drivers of the day. And he grabs some other people who were so wealthy that they didn't even have to have a job. They were just like, oh, wow, this is Jesus. I'm going to go follow him, right? Like they have some excess income. He gets Judas, who's, who's, who's well, he's a little sketchy. <laughs> and they all knew he was sketchy. By the way, the, the, the writer of, the, of one of the gospels says that they knew Judas was stealing from the offering plate. 
I don't want to go to that church because they have people that are just not, they're not, they're not godly. I want to go to a church with godly people. Really? Because Jesus is church. The guy in charge of the money. Everybody knew he was taking a little bit on the side for himself. Like we think alignment comes from everybody thinking just like us. We think if we can get rid of all the ungodly people and all the all the people that don't vote like us and all the people that don't think like, and if I can just get my news feed all in alignment with what I like and with what I think, then that'll be like no, no. Alignment doesn't look. John doesn't say, look, look. I'm 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 writing. He says I'm writing about Jesus so that you'll come into alignment. That's why this book works in China. If I, if, if I took many sermons and many news feeds that I've heard over the past few weeks, it doesn't work in China. Stand up for your personal freedoms. Really? Huh, I'm in trouble. As you're in a concentration camp in northern China for going to church. Please, stand up for your personal liberties. Why don't you do that and see what... Uh, <laughs> What the government thinks about you and your personal liberties. That will not work out for you. You won't live long. Your children won't live long. It doesn't work. The American gospel doesn't work in other countries. But that's the beauty of this gospel is it's not American. He says, I present to you Jesus. I don't present to you a constitution. I present to you Jesus. In, in Jesus, you will find alignment. You can be, you can be, in, Af you can be in the middle of Africa, huddled in the back of some, of some store somewhere, hiding away from the guerrilla warfare that's happening outside of you, and you can come into alignment because of who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. And as we both come around Jesus, this is where unity comes from it doesn't come from making sure everybody votes the same thinks the same works the same and feels the same and sings the same and preaches the same unity comes around Jesus because Jesus is so much bigger than all the other stuff that kept them divided Simon was holding on to his idea of guerrilla warfare against the Roman government and all things non-Jewish and Matthew is selling out to the Roman government and all things non-Jewish. And they're both, the, the issues of division are down here. But when they got around Jesus, they saw someone who is so transcendent, who is so much higher than their political ideologies, so much higher than their personal persuasions, so much higher than their personal preferences. And what happens is, as they got around Jesus, Jesus began to cancel all of their little pettiness because he's so much greater. And when you're around Jesus and when you see him for who he really is, suddenly he's so much greater. And then, then all these petty things start to get canceled. Well, are they wearing a mask or are they not wearing a mask? Because, because you can't wear a mask because that's a sign that you lined up with the government and you sold out. And, uh, you know, well, I, I have to wear a mask, otherwise I'm killing old, old ladies. And it's like, at some point... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Just rehearsing conversations with people. And as a pastor, like, this, is, this is something... This, this is something I, 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 I told somebody recently. I, I was telling Ro, I said, babe, it's easier right now to be a politician than a pastor. Because at least a politician, you know who your friends are and you know who your enemies are. The lines are really clear. But as a pastor, I have to go off of this book. And this book says your mask doesn't matter. This book says wear a mask, don't wear a mask, doesn't matter. 
But that's not good enough in today's climate. You got to pick a side. Did you get a sticker after you voted or did you not get a sticker after you voted? <laughs> you got to pick a side. Did you post it on Facebook? Did you vote? If you didn't, you were the scum of the earth. You got to pick a side. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's crazy. And yet I, 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 I can't pick a side. And even in the mo one of the most politically tense weeks of all of American history, at the end of this week, and unfortunately the beginning of next week, I can't stand up here and tell you the, a particular side to pick. Because, not because I am indifferent, not because I don't have thoughts, but because I have seen something so transcendent to all of that. Because I'm walking alongside somebody who literally doesn't need a president to be in any office anywhere for him to get his work done. For his kingdom to move forward, he needs absolutely no help. He needs absolutely no help. He is so powerful. He is so sovereign. He is so great. He is so much bigger. And so as I stand before him, what happens is as these pettiness issues get canceled, then you can actually see the person who's sitting across from you. Because this is, this is the biggest problem. The truth is we don't see each other. He says, I've presented to you Jesus so that you can come into fellowship with people. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I've presented to you Jesus so that you can come into fellowship with people. How is Jesus going to help me come into fellowship with people? Well, Jesus is going to cancel all of the pettiness and the masks or no masks and the, the R in front, of your in front of your voter registration card or the D in front of your... He's going to cancel all of that so that I don't see your voter registration card. I don't see your mask. I don't see your skin color. I don't see your political uh, affiliation. I don't, see, I don't see that. I see you. And when I see you, I realize that you are not much different than me. When I see you, I realize that you actually want the same thing that I want. That Simon wants the same thing that Matthew wants. That Simon and Matthew aren't that different. That the zealot and the tax collector are actually very similar. And as they, as they come under the transcendence of Jesus and he cancels all of the pettiness, suddenly we see that, wait a minute, we're not that different. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, raise your hands if you slept this week. Nice. Amy didn't sleep at all. You are a walking miracle, Amy. That is physically impossible. <laughs> all right. Raise your hand if you ate at all this week. You ate something. All right. Cool. Raise your hand if you drank something. Amy, you got Starbucks right there. You, like, you, you did it. Raise your hand if you felt something, saw something, heard something, tasted something this week. Okay. Raise your hand if you think that the Cowboys are going to lose today. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, see, we were all the same. What I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry, Robert, our, our, our Dallas Cowboy fan, but you know, it's, I mean, Jerry asked me if I'd play quarterback for him today. I told him I was busy. I don't know who's playing for him, but I'm busy. I'm preaching. It's Sunday. I don't have time to drive up there. But, you know, I, but the truth is the human experience isn't that different. You know, there's only four major personalities in the entire world. I'm unique. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Like, you know, there's only four major personalities, like, it's like personality profiles in the entire world. All of America is 74% one of those personalities. Yeah. I'm unique. No, you're not really that unique. 
not really that because the disc program the disc profile is pretty it's pretty clear that there's these that everybody is is on some spectrum and that we all are very similar actually and Jesus brings us together and what he does is as we look at him he strips away all the stuff that caused us to not see each other and he allows us to see each other and as we see each other we say wait a minute you're a lot like me you hurt a lot like me you dream a lot like me you are disappointed a lot like me you're wounded a lot like me you're sinful a lot you're born in sin a lot like me you're tempted a lot like me yeah i mean that's one of the great things about small groups we uh we we're, we're coming to the end of a small group uh semester and we've had a parenting small group and uh, some of the best times in our parenting small group is literally people just saying oh me too <laughs> you had trouble with your kids today me too uh you got out of, you, you yelled a little bit me too you got frustrated yeah one, one, one of the best things about small groups and then and then it's i'm in a small group so i can also share some stuff that i've thought about doing <laughs> which are entirely legal entirely <laughs> legal they're all legal except that thing to the neighbor's yard that i was thinking about with his but anyway but that's you know the lord helped me with that we got through it and i could share it with my small group and and, and that, but that that's the key if you think pastors are on some kind of pedestal you don't you you don't you don't get it man we are all pretty darn similar we struggle with different things we face different things and we have similar victories too we have similar joys we have similar hopes we have similar uh, accomplishments that the holy spirit has done in our life and we can say man this is a landmark moment oh really i had a landmark moment this is what god did for me so much of the human experience this is why we have had one book one holy book one bible for the past 2000 years and it's applied to every single civilization every single country every single person on every piece of this planet because we're not that different whatever your skin color is whatever your language is whatever your 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 upbringing is however privileged or non-privileged however oppressed or non-oppressed we're not that different and the word of god peels back the layers that divide us so it brings alignment jesus brings alignment as we as we get closer to him we get closer to each other it also brings agreement if you go down in your bible we don't have it on the screen but i think it's verse six john says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another he says and the blood of jesus cleanses us from all sin but the first thing is fellowship with one another if we walk in the light as he is in light we have fellowship with one another what does, what does it mean to walk in the light well light is something john's going to talk about quite a bit but it's revelation it's 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 illumination it is it is the light of god literally i think in verse five he says look this is the message that god is light and so god emanates light god is light god is revealing he is speaking he is uh he is driving back the darkness darkness is is ignorance darkness is confusion darkness is sin and he's driving that back and he's creating a place of light and so john says when we walk in the light by the way he says we if we walk not if i walk if we walk in the light i think the church i grew up in thought it said if i walk in the light uh then i uh have fellowship with god and and the blood of jesus christ cleanses me from all sin no he says if we walk in the light 
In other words, you can't walk in the light by yourself. It's not if you walk in the light. John doesn't say that. He says if we walk in the light. You cannot walk in the light by yourself. Because what the light will do, and what, what I mean by walk in the light is, I mean walk in the revealed will of God. As God shines light over your life, there's like this, like this, this, this circle, I imagine a spotlight. And there's like a, this light from the Holy Spirit that, that shines on you and you see yourself. And you're like, ooh, ooh, I need to fix that. Oh, I need to deal with that. Oh, I need to submit that. I need to work on that. And that's, that's his light. And then you start, and then it, the light moves, and there's more rev revelation in front of you. So you take a step toward the revelation. God's asking you to make this step. God's asking you to, to, to start giving. God's asking you to start serving. God's asking you to start uh, having prayer times with your kids every night. God's asking, God's asking something. He's revealing something to you. This is my will for you, Harry. I want you to step into this. And so, okay, I take a step into that. I'm walking in the light. That's what walking in the light is. And that's why any step of obedience is a step out of light into darkness. And that's why as you're stepping in obedience, you will get into further darkness where before, before long, you won't even see the stuff in you that you used to see. It'll be covered with darkness. And so as we come into the light, though, we expose ourselves to the Holy Spirit for him to work on stuff. And, and then we, we start walking and we're moving in that light. But that light doesn't work unless somebody else is in the circle with us. It literally, it literally doesn't. Because, because there's stuff you can't see about yourself when it's just you and Jesus. There's stuff that God will not reveal to you. I don't, I don't know that he can't reveal to you, but he won't reveal it to you by yourself. That's why the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, most of the fruit of the Spirit, you won't even know if you have it until somebody else is in that light with you. Literally, patience. Well, I'm very patient with myself. I, I have a lot of patience. I'm just, I take that long in the bathroom. That's how long I take. I'm fine with it. Well, good. Uh, that's lovely. You got patience for yourself. That's not patience. <laughs> Everybody has that. You don't need the Holy Spirit to have patience with yourself. You, have the Holy, you need the Holy Spirit, though, when you're married to somebody who spends that amount of time in the bathroom. And there's only one bathroom. Luckily, I'm not married to him. I'm married to a perfect person over here who doesn't, who lets me spend that amount of time in the bathroom. So I, 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 I appreciate that. But no, you need, like, it's patience, uh, 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 joy, right? How do you know you have joy? How do you know you have joy? Joy comes out of fellowship. And so, and so you must be walking with somebody else. Love. Oh, I love myself a lot. Well, that's great. But you don't know that you have love until you have to have agape for somebody unlike you. That's the only time that you know. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. My goodness. I'm very kind to myself. I, I'm very, very kind. Well, that's lovely, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Kindness, man. Like, this is why every God-designed relationship is what our society would call hard work. I don't like to call it hard work because it's not. It's walking in the light is what it is. But marriage, like when you marry somebody, you are perfect. And then you marry somebody and they are so messed up that they cause you to be more messed up. Right? Oh, something like that. No, scripture says, scripture says that, 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 that they come together in order to present, uh, in Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, love your wives and present her 
as a holy bride, as, as this is Christ's job. So holiness is the purpose of marriage and not happiness. So what happens is you thought you were perfect, and then you married somebody who's very different from you to, to point out all of your imperfections. <laughs> and that's true in marriage. And that, that's the hard work. That's what people call hard work. It's not hard work. It's just walking in the light. And if you'll submit to the voice, to the light of the Holy Spirit, and if you'll, if, if you'll, if you'll say, God, okay, I got this stuff. What would I do with it? And you, you submit it to God instead of blaming her or him. I don't know why it's just always her. I'm a guy, I guess. Instead of blaming the other spouse and you submit it to the Lord, what will happen is even if you're not married to the perfect person, even if your spouse isn't Jesus in the flesh, <laughs> it will cause you to become more like Jesus. Because Jesus was brutalized by sinners. Jesus was crucified. And, that's, and, and this, is, this is every godly relationship. Same thing with children, right? You have children and you, your home is perfect and everything is in its place. And, 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 and you're always on time for all of your appointments. And you have enough savings in the bank. And then you have children. And you're running late for everything. Your house is a wreck. And, uh, you know, you're questioning your sanity. You know, but it's not, children, is, children aren't the gift from the Lord. And the gift is a gift to, to reflect you. They're a mirror of your attitudes. They're acting out oftentimes the way that you're talking. They're taking it to the next level. And what's happening is God's trying to make you more like his son. And to all of our teenagers here, you have the, the hard task of having parents. I mean, you're so genius right now. And it is, it's really hard when you're that be under people who just don't get it. But that's a God-given relationship, teenagers. He's given you your parents. And, 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 and it's true. They, they, they don't know how to turn things on or turn things off. They really struggle with some stuff. But the truth is they're there. They're there to make you more like Christ. And so all their little idiosyncrasies and all of their concerns and they're worried about this and worried about that. And like that's that's part of the process to make you more like Christ. That's why it talks about in, when Jesus was a kid, it says that he learned uh, how to he learned through the things that he suffered. So welcome to being a teenager. It's called suffering under the weight of your parents. Pretty soon you're going to escape them. And then you'll have to pay for everything on your own, and you'll have a new kind of suffering, totally different kind, but it's, it's equally important, right? And God uses it also. So, you know, enjoy it while you got it. But, I mean, God used every God-given relationship. And by the way, the church is a God-given relationship. I don't know if you know that or not, but Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I don't like that church. Yeah, but well, how about that? Uh, yeah, I don't like that one either. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, I don't like that one. Yeah, but yeah, I don't like that one. It, it, so it's great, it's wonderful, but at some point, you have to find a community of the faith to connect with. Yeah, but none of them are good enough for me. Yeah, I know, and that's the point. You're, you're too good for all of them. And God wants you to not be so good in your own eyes. And so he's bringing you to, in, into a place where, where you'll have to like, have friction against each other. Because you, when you walk in the light with brothers and sisters, this is where agreement comes into play. Coming into agreement happens. I, I think there are a lot of Christians who instead of walking in the light, literally walk with the light. You know what I mean? Like they got their big old Holy Ghost flashlight. And they're like, 
shining on other people? Are you, are you in or are you out? You know, like they're examining that church. Oh, I wonder, what does that church believe? Let's go get down their website. Let's read and let's see. Let's see if they're real church, real Christians. And we, 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 the, the light, it's like we think the light is intended for us to go around and figure out who's in and who's out. We're, like, we're walking with a light, not in the light. Because when you walk in the light, the flashlight isn't on your neighbor. It's not on your brother. It's not on the church down the street. The flashlight's on you. And I've lived long enough to realize that people who are always shining the light on everybody else, they're rarely allowing the light to shine on themselves. And so they, you can be, you can, you can know who's in and who's out, who believes this, who doesn't believe that, who's voting for that. You can, you can know like how many registered in that precinct and how many actually voted. And I mean, you can like do all the research you want, figure out who's right and who's wrong. But until you allow the light of the Holy Spirit to shine on you, you will not have fellowship because you'll never find somebody who's squeaky clean enough for your expectations. You'll never find somebody. Well, you know, it's pretty good church, but they, but they, you know pastor wears jeans with rips in it and uh, <laughs> or whatever i don't know like y- you'll find something because it's not you're not supposed to walk with the light and it doesn't mean you walk in ignorance and it doesn't mean you just believe whatever comes down the pike but when you're walking in the light you know the truth that's what john says actually later in the book he says i don't even need to write to tell you the truth you know the truth because you're in the light You're not going to step into a fake light. You're not going to step into false religion. You're not going to step into condemnation. You're not going to step into liberalism. You're not going to step into uh, sin because you're in the light. And the Holy Spirit won't lead you there. Walking in the light. As we walk in the light, we have fellowship with with one another. And there there is also affection. There is also affection. There's a brotherhood that develops among people who walk in the light together. There's an old saying that says, uh, blood is thicker than water. I don't know if you've heard that. How many of you guys heard, heard that? I just want to see how it's the same we all are. Okay, cool. See? See what I'm saying? Blood is thicker than water. That's actually, um, it's a shortened version of a longer saying. It's believed that that saying uh, originated um, to be very different and actually to mean the exact opposite of what it currently means. So nowadays, blood is thicker, thicker than water means you should be loyal to your family because your family is going to be there for you and your friends aren't always going to be there. That's blood is thicker than water. How in the world friends and other people got labeled water? I have no idea. I mean, did we meet in a pool or a hot tub? How does this work? <laughs> blood is thicker than water. Eh, it's thicker than other things too, but, but the, reason, the reason why, like I always wonder that, like that's, that's a dumb saying. Well, it's because it's a shortened version of a saying that actually does make sense. So I, I had it for the screen for them to put up on here. But the original saying is that the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And that makes sense. Now, the, the origin of this is disputed. Some people say it came from the military. Some people say it came from a more, more religious background. But the idea is pretty clear that, that the blood of the covenant, and in other words, people that you shed blood with, the, that you come into covenant with, that, you, that, you, that your, 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 your partnership, and that partnership produces blood, meaning it's, it's a life or death kind of partnership. It's a super important partnership that the blood of the covenant is actually thicker than the water of the womb. 
So that just because I grew up with you, just because, so just because I shared a, a womb with somebody, right, like my brother or my sister, uh, actually, the, the stronger connection is people you share the blood, sweat, and tears with. That you will have a deeper connection with people you share blood with than the people that you shared a womb with. And it, uh, sorry, Texas. I, it doesn't sound like family values. Well, I know. I mean, but it's, 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 it's the truth. I mean, Jesus, Jesus said this, right? When his, when his mom and his brothers came and they stood outside and he's teaching and they wanted him to come out because, well, they're his mom and his brothers. You stop teaching. Come hang out with us because we're your mom and your brothers. And, and, and they went in and told Jesus, you're your mom. Your brothers are outside. It's Mother's Day, you know. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? He, he looks around the room and he says, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Meaning that there is this relationship that transcends earthly family. There's a relationship that transcends earthly uh, brothers and sisters, moms and dads. And Jesus, you know, says, hey, look, unless you hate your, your brothers and your sisters, your mothers and your fathers for my sake. Now, he's not saying that he wants you to literally hate your parents, but that he's saying he, you must recognize there is a transcendent relationship order here. There's a bigger family you're a part of. Just because you were under the same roof with so-and-so doesn't mean you're obligated to go the way of life that they're going doesn't mean you're obligated to think the way that they think. doesn't mean you're obligated to... I mean, think about the fishermen, Peter, James, and John. They're following the footsteps of their father. And Jesus says, I want you to walk, get out of the footsteps of your father and come into the footsteps of your heavenly father. Well, I can't do that. That'll bring disgrace on my family. That'll, that'll, I, who, like, who's going to carry on the family business? Who's going to continue? all? The, it, it doesn't matter. I'm not concerned about that relationship. Jesus says, I'm concerned about this higher, greater relationship, and that is this relationship that God has with you. That's why true affection comes from the, the blood of the covenant, the blood of, of shared sacrifice, the blood of shared commitment and shared devotion to Jesus. And so that, so that you can have earthly you know, friends, uh, brothers and sisters and moms and dads and uncles and aunts and all of that. And God's not against that. But when that begins to influence you greater than the blood of the covenant, then you're missing it. And so many of us miss out on fellowship, real fellowship, because we hold on to family that aren't following God. We hold on to family that aren't going where we're going. That we hold on to family that, that, that you know, just, be, just because they're family, not because their influence is good for us, not because their friendship pushes us toward God, not because their conversations bring us closer to God. It does the exact opposite, in fact. And there's much division in the church because we're holding on to family members that aren't concerned about God. But I would say to you that the blood of the covenant ought to be thicker than the water of the womb. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul kind of hints at this. And I was, I was listening to a guy just yesterday. Um, uh, is this cool series going on, and it came out yesterday. This, and I, I might share it on our Facebook group because it's a really neat look. He does a really interesting look at the journey Jesus takes from uh, uh, his, his conviction to his crucifixion. Uh, and it starts in the Praetorium in the Gospel of Mark, and it ends on the hill of the skull, Golgotha. It's an interesting journey, and what he did is he, lay, he kind of layered that with 
what we know to be true about a, a Roman procession um, for the coronation of an emperor, uh, what they would call a triumphal procession. And uh, it's amazing how similar Jesus, how really Jesus's story of his crucifixion is told by Mark almost as a, a coronation, as a triumphant procession, which I find in these days to be really interesting because we're so consumed with political power, as was Rome, and yet Jesus comes as a completely different kind of king, the kind of king that doesn't have any political power, the kind of king that is beaten and cursed and mocked and then killed. And yet that is his coronation. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to myself. Now the Son of Man, he says, is about to be glorified. His version of glory is so different than the American version of glory. It's not about winning. And so what's interesting, though, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. Notice the word us. It's plural. Us. He doesn't lead me. He leads the entire church. We are together in this triumphal procession. And it's not just a triumphal procession. It is Christ's triumphal procession. And through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Now, I, last year I preached on this passage because uh, the word um, for triumphal procession is triambus, um, which is, uh, harkens back to an ancient um, uh, celebration for the, for, the, for the god Bacchus. I don't know if you remember Raucus Bacchus. That was a good sermon. But anyway, Bacchus, uh, it, it, that, that is part of the Roman side of it. But the actual triumphant procession was originated in Greece. Uh, I think Dionysus uh, was the god that they were celebrating. And once a year, Dionysus was the god who would die and be resurrected again every year. And so, yeah, that's not it. But um, you can just... <laughs> You just stay on the passage. Um, <laughs> Dionysus uh, was, the, was the dying and resurrecting God. So every year he would die and every year he would resurrect again. It was their myth, their, their mythology. And so on the day when he was supposed to be resurrected, the king um, would, would go and take the robe off of the statue. They had a purple robe that would, would have been on the statue of Dionysus. He would put it on himself, um, thus sort of sort of symbolizing that he was Dionysus, and he would walk through the streets, and everybody would shout, uh, Thriambus, Thriambus, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself. And then he would, he would come to, 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 to the temple, and at the temple he would take off the rope, and everybody would shout, and they would cheer because, because God had resurrected. And so what's interesting is, is that's, like, that's, that's the original origin of the triumphant procession. And so that, of course, has a lot to do with Jesus. You can see that in Jesus all the time. And John says that the light appeared, the light was revealed, it became known, became unveiled to us. So that's a big part of it. But the thing is, the Romans changed it. So the Romans take over the, the, the ancient world, and they also have a triumphant procession, only theirs is a little bit different. They start bringing um, uh, all of their, their gold and jewels and slaves after they conquer a country, they bring all the spoil through the streets, and everybody shouts, um, triumphe, triumphe, right, triumph, victors, victorious, we have won, and uh, they, they're, they're celebrating all of their victories, well, that was early Rome, but by the time that um, Caesar Augustus was, 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 was the emperor, uh, they had changed it, because uh, the entire country had changed to be less of a republic and more of an imperial situation. So anyway, that, that's a whole nother deal. But part of that was they eliminated all the stuff from the triumphant procession except the emperor himself. And now the, now the pr procession was about the emperor and about his actual deity. 
It was his coronation that when he would become the emperor over all of Rome, it was, it was solidifying his greatness, his power, his might, and literally his godness. And, and that is the kind of procession that Paul would have been referencing. That's the kind of procession Jesus would have witnessed as a kid. That's the kind of procession, uh, because when Nero came to power, Paul would have, Paul, Paul would have seen this. Nero's coronation, uh, you know, it says here that we, he spreads through us the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Well, part of the procession was um, vast amounts of, of aroma placed along the path. Every three yards, they would put a, a, a bowl of incense. And it's, it's said that Nero spent like into the millions of dollars on just the aroma. He wanted the street to smell really good. And, and, but the, the, the idea is, so he would start in the praetorium, which you can see Jesus' journey starts in the praetorium. And because the guard has to, the, the military has to knight you first. If you have the military backing, then you can be, then you can be emperor. If the military is not behind you, then you're in trouble. So what would happen is the military would basically show their support by, by taking a purple robe, putting it on the emperor, wrap it around the emperor, and then they would take a crown uh, made from a wreath, uh, like a victor's crown, like in, like in the Olympics you might have seen. And they would place the crown on his head. And then they would, they would, they would declare some, some affirmation to him. Uh, we don't know exactly what that would be, but it's something like hail Caesar, some, some kind of, well, and if you look at Jesus' journey, Jesus goes straight to the praetorium where he is beaten by the, by the prison guards, where he is, they put a purple robe on him, they make a thorn, uh, a crown of thorns, where they shove it onto his head and they mock him saying, hail king of the Jews. Well, then they, 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 they would take Nero, for instance, they would take him from the praetorium. He now has the purple robe. He is sort of like Dionysus. He is in himself a bit of a god. He believed himself to be a god. And he would begin marching through the streets. And as he's marching, there's all this aroma that's filling the streets, symbolizing his greatness and praise really to him, worship to him. And as he's walking, he comes to the, the temple of Jupiter where he would come up to the steps of the temple of Jupiter, and there would be these massive steps. And that's what the picture is that we had uh, over here. This would be a, a simulation of the temple of Jupiter. And, 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 and it's, it's only Nero, and they would bring a bull. They would lead a bull along with them to sacrifice to, to the god before they would, they would ceremoniously make uh, Nero a god, before they would acknowledge his godness. And so they would bring him all the way to the hill. And by the way, the, the, the temple of Jupiter was on a hill called the Hill of the Head because they had supposedly, in some myth, they had found a human head on the hill. So Jesus was led to Golgotha, which is the Hill of the Skull. And they, they would come to that hill, and then they would slaughter the sacrifice. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He was slaughtered, and he was, he was killed. And his blood was poured out. And that was the idea. They would also offer him a glass of wine. They would offer the emperor a glass of wine. It's said that Nero poured it out because he was symbolizing, one, that he didn't need their stinking wine because he's a god. And two, that he would pour himself out for his people, that he would be poured out. And of course, Jesus, they offered him some wine mixed with some gall and he refused it. And so then, then after the sacrifice is made, after the wine is given and poured out, then Nero ascends those steps uh, in the middle and he would always have two lesser people on either side of him. And he would stand at the top of the steps with these two lesser people standing lower than him, uh, usually relatives, high-ranking high officials. And then it was the crowd's turn, and the crowd would cry out. They would respond, and they would say, they would, they would say something like, Hail uh, Nero, Lord and God. That's what they would say over and over again. Hail Nero, Lord and God. Hail Nero, Lord and God. And Nero standing there, looking over his people, receiving their adoration, receiving their worship. And that's the picture that 
One, Jesus almost replicates on his path. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw him into myself. When I'm lifted up between two thieves, everyone will look at me and say, surely this man is the son of God. The Roman picked up on that, by the way, the Roman soldier, because he was used to this kind of thing. But anyway, he's, he's, he's raised up. And that's also what, what, what Paul says we're doing. He says, Christ leads us in triumphal procession. In his so if Christ is the great emperor, if he is sovereign, if he is God, who is he leading? That's right. You are the cow. No, I was reading that this week with this new understanding. I'm like, I always thought he was leading us like, woo, we're on to Zion, we're on to victory. But when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's, it's about Paul's suffering. It's about how he's looking for his friends and he can't find them. It's about how he's traveling. It's about how he's persecuted. It's about how, and then he says, God is always leading us in a triumphal procession. Like he's, he's taking us through the streets on the very same journey that he took. Which he, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. So what it means, the reason why the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb is because anyone who's followed God for very long, we've been on this journey. We've walked with him long enough to come to a place where we had to die to ourselves. And when, and when we died, then he was elevated. And when we died, then he could take his rightful place. And when our flesh died there at the steps, then Christ was able to rise in our life and people all around us were able to say, hail, hail Jesus, Lord and God. He is greater than anyone. He is above anyone because look what he's done with this person's life. Look how glorified, look how exalted he is. And so that's the purpose. The purpose is that we would come into fellowship and out of that fellowship that Jesus would be glorified, that Jesus would stand at the highest place in our lives, in our city, in our country, in the world, not because, of, not, not because we voted for somebody, not because the Supreme Court said so, but because there was, there was techno music that began playing, and that was a sign that the Lord had spoken. <laughs> uh, if you're watching online today, I just encourage you just to pray with me. Let's, let's, let's come before him right now, and if you, number one, if you haven't, if you haven't gone on this journey with him, if you haven't come behind him, if you haven't identified with his life and with his death, if you haven't said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus, now is the time to follow him, to come into the family of God, family of people who have followed him and have found him to be faithful, found him to be good, found him to be sovereign. And honestly, it begins with a step. It's a journey of a thousand miles, but it begins with one step. It just begins by saying, God, I, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to lay down my life. I want to lay down my agenda. I want to lay down my pride. I want to lay down my sin. I want to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God, and he was slain for my sins. He died, and he rose again on the third day, and I believe that, and, I, and, I, and not just believe it in my head, but this faith has action causes me to walk in the light. That's what it is. Lord, I'm going to step into the light today. And maybe, maybe you're watching, maybe you're here in the room, and you, you have stepped into the light. You are following Jesus, but your joy is not complete because your fellowship 
There's not much fellowship there with others. I would invite you, come into alignment with the believers that God's put in your life around you. Come into alignment with them. What does that mean? Well, that means one, stop pointing out all their faults. Stop being judgmental. Reach out to them. Have phone calls with them. Have text messages with them. Have lunch with them. Have coffee with them. Have small groups with them. I don't know. Come into alignment. Come into agreement. Come into fellowship. Serve with them. Come to Wednesday night prayer with them. Watch online. Connect online. Text back and forth with them. Step into a small group. We have new small groups coming up. And so maybe your thing today is, Lord, when, when, when new small groups start here at the end of November, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to join, whether it's Zoom or in person or whatever. I'm going to be a part of the body. But Lord, we want to be your family. We want to be a part of your family. We want that, that joy to come out of fellowship that we have with each other. We thank you, Lord, that you, your prayer actually in John 17 was that we would have this kind of fellowship, that we would be one just as you and your father are one. So Lord, may you make your church one. May you give us a desire and a, and a hunger to connect with each other and serve alongside each other and come along behind you so that you may be glorified, so that you may be lifted up in our day, so that you may be exalted and you may be seen. You may stand on the, the top steps of the world and although every eye will see you and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord and God. <laughs> he is sovereign. He is Lord and God. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is victorious. He is triumphant. He is Lord and God. In Jesus' name we pray.